Trudeau's approval ratings take a nosedive. A mysterious article related to China crops up, and WOW Airlines sporadically shuts down. I'm Marco Perry. Welcome to the Perry Platform. The 2019 elections are fast approaching, and thanks to Global News, we have the latest polling data to share with you and dissect. The headline that everyone seems to be drawing from the latest polling data is pretty funny to me, honestly. I've seen it crop up so many times that I thought I should share it with you. So Trudeau has a lower approval rating than that of the infamous Donald Trump. Yes, you heard that right. Trudeau is less popular among Canadians than Donald Trump is among Americans. Simply mind-blowing, right? But let's look at the numbers a little bit closer. So Trudeau's approval rating, 40%. Trump's approval rating, 43%. Let's compare that to our previous Prime Minister, Stephen Harper. His approval rating at this point in time was about 47%. It seems the SNC scandal really took its hit. Basically, an insight we can extract from that data set is that Canadians are not happy with the way Trudeau is running things. His recent decisions have been questionable at the best. And there's a thing called the recency effect, where things you do most recently affect the perception people have of you at higher degrees compared to things that happened in the past. So let's use the prime minister, for example. If you did something really good in your first year, by the time your fourth year rolls around, people are going to be placing a higher level of criticism towards your more recent decisions, and that's going to impact the way they vote. That's honestly just the way things are. Maybe it's because of a memory thing, or because right now they're feeling the immediate effects of your decision, and they've had time to get over your past ones if they happened a while ago. So the SNC scandal couldn't have happened at a worse time for Trudeau. One comparison Global News tried to have between Trump and Trudeau was the fact that they both had to deal with a pretty large scandal that shocked their respective nations. So Trudeau dealt with SNC, Trump had to deal with Russia. There's one major difference here, though, that Global News didn't really cite. It turns out with Trump, it was a false allegation, according to the Mueller report. But with Trudeau, things keep getting worse and worse every day, and there's more and more testimony. It seems highly plausible that he did, in fact, do these things. And actually, it's almost more than highly plausible. He even went on stage and was defending his actions because of jobs. So he's admitted to some level of wrongdoing in relation to the accusations. So given that context, it's very plausible that the gap between their polling data is actually going to widen Trump versus Trudeau, because Trudeau is on a downward trajectory. Things seem to be getting more intense with the SNC scandal as more data comes to the forefront and people begin to question him more intensely. With Trump, he already went through two, three years of Russia allegations. His polls took a massive hit because of that. Russia collusion was a major, major issue in relation to his presidency, but now it's been dispelled pretty much. So because of that, he should be on the upward swing of things. I expect this gap to widen as the days go on, actually, and Trudeau becomes more and more enveloped in this national crisis. I find all of this to be pretty hilarious because this comes after the announcement of the liberal federal budget, which I already know Trudeau proposed to increase his polling data and win back voters after the scandal. So, as you might recall from my previous episode, the federal budget was jam-packed with such wonderful promises, ranging from things like the first-time homebuyer incentive to a bunch of other high-spending things that are supposed to make your quality of life much higher. But, as you can see from the data, people weren't buying that. As they weigh the two things, the promises of such amazing things, versus having a leader like Trudeau run the country for four more years, 
you can already see the decision matrix is coming down to one thing. It's that they don't feel like he's currently fit to continue to be in a leadership position for a nation like Canada. Actually, you know what I think perfectly symbolizes the current situation for Trudeau? That meme of the dog at the table just sipping tea as his house is burning down around him and he's saying like everything is okay. Because that's pretty much exactly what's happening here. Trudeau continues to make statements like, our government is stronger than ever. We're pushing through this. <laughs> like, it's, it's just so preposterous that he's still making these claims. I feel like nothing embodies this better than that meme. It's perfect. Someone should make that, post it on Twitter, tag me, put some hashtags on there. You'll get a lot of retweets. <laughs> so back to the data, there was also projections as to where people would vote if the election was held today. And based on that, the numbers break down like this. 40% of people would vote conservative. 30% would still vote liberal. And 21% would vote NDP. The remainder would be divided among the Bloc Québécois and the new party led by Maxime Bernier. I keep forgetting what it's called. but And there'd be people who vote independently as well in the mix. But based on that, it seems like the conservatives have that 10% advantage over the liberals. And it's highly likely that these numbers will translate into the future. As I've said before, it really is the conservatives' race to lose. And they really couldn't have picked such a worse time to have a leader who people really don't know that well. Andrew Scheer, he's not the most iconic, not the most charismatic. And it feels like he's not really in a position to take full advantage of the situation given his stature. But more on that in just a second. Another interesting piece of data we pulled from this report is that Trudeau's main support groups really were two parties. It was young people and women. And even there, he's slipping drastically now. 40% of women now want to vote conservative, according to the polling data. And as I've already said, the tides are shifting. Sheer's strategy really has to be just simply prove why he's a better replacement than Trudeau. Because as I said, he doesn't have the name recognition. He's not that well known. Not a lot of people even know what he stands for, to be honest. And that's something I'm going to break down in a more comprehensive election video when we get closer to the date. But right now, they're sitting pretty. All they have to do is avoid major scandal and let the liberals continue to implode under themselves. The NDP also has a path to victory here if they can steal away the liberal votes. It's going to be a very interesting election cycle coming up. Can't wait for it. So moving on to another headline that was going wild all over Canada. China admits the canola ban was in relation to Huawei. My initial reaction when I saw this headline was... Obviously, all the data was there to suggest that I personally call that on the show and anyone who was able to use rational deduction would have arrived at that conclusion. But here's the interesting part, though, because you can't base everything just on a headline. This article blew up. It was all over Reddit, all over Twitter, all over social media. People were like, oh, here's the proof. Something should be done. Look at the source of the article and which organization broke the story subchina.com and if that wasn't kind of weird enough already how it wasn't a major news organization that was first on the site for this kind of story look at the article itself as i'm reading through it there really is no evidence that china admitted to anything really at best it's an opinion piece that tried to piece things together and he drew a conclusion and he's trying to play that conclusion off as if it's fact which was highly misleading and people got confused as hell from that. And that's why you're seeing everyone in a panic right now. At a worst case scenario, if you want to be on the conspiracy side of things, it may have been planted there by the Chinese government to get people to freak out. Because people freaking out 
applies more pressure to Canada. So let's think about that for a little bit more. What does China want? The release of the Huawei executive. What does Canada want? Not to have their economy get throttled. But there's a level of non-agreement there because Canada can't simply be bullied into giving in to the demands of a rival nation. It doesn't work like that. Such a terrible precedent. So what happens when there is internal pressure now in addition to the external pressures that Canada is feeling from China? How about all the farmers? How about all the people who work in the canola industry? Now they may have been alerted. Oh, that's all China wants? They just want something to happen with the Huawei executive? Let her free. Save her industry. Vote, vote, vote. That's what it comes down to. Votes. And look at this. It's so close to the elections. What do you know? 2019 October. The elections are coming up. If you want to win the votes of everyone who is employed in that industry, maybe you try to save it. If you let it burn to the ground, they may have a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to voting time and the opposition can take advantage of that. So it really puts Canada in a complicated position and not a lot of people realize that. The pressures are now mounting extraordinarily, internal plus external. And because of the way this headline broke out, people were able to piece things together supposedly that all they want is their demands to be met in relation to Huawei. Extremely dangerous and this article was nonsensical at best. To have a headline like that with no substance in the body, it's terrible journalism from subchina.com. Never heard of this website before and already this story is making me never want to go back to them. And I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here because from what I've seen people in their reactions to this article, it's they've based a lot of their emotional response to it just on the headline. And a lot of times that is extremely misleading. You need to know the vast majority of the details in the story to form a highly opinionated article that makes sense and is inclusive of all the facts of the issue. So you're well-rounded. What people did was see the article, freak out, and then you saw the reaction through that, which was very emotional, calling for certain demands to be made. And they didn't even know that the article was misleading. They didn't even know that the headline was false. There was no agreement between what the article was saying and what the headline was supposed to convey to you. And we've seen this time and time again. The dangers of sensationalism. People jumping to conclusions without knowing the full details of certain things. Look at the MAGA hat kit story, for instance. The one where he was standing there while you had that Indian elder hitting the drum. Everyone saw a small clip of the situation, jumped to massive conclusions, and what do you know happens next? It turns out the story is wrong. And that might be surprising for a lot of people to hear because the media outlets also committed this lack of due diligence. They reported everything as it seemed in that small clip. And when the extended clip was released because someone did upload a full video, you were able to see that the kid was just standing there from the start. And it was actually the Indian guy with the drum who walked up to him and got in his face. The kid just stood his ground. And that's very different from the way it seemed from that 10 second clip. It's the power of perception. People can frame things in certain ways to make you feel certain things. And after the full video was released, only very few media outlets actually went out there and retracted their story and updated it with the full truth. A lot of them even tried to double down on it because it's a polarizing issue, obviously, the MAGA hat. People don't want to see that in a different light than what their preconceptions of it really stand for. That kid's life was almost ruined for doing something that never really happened. People were sending him death threats. His school was trying to shut him down. Universities probably wouldn't have accepted him after that kind of reputation. And luckily, 
the video surfaced that cleared his name. And it's still surprising to me that a lot of people don't know this. Look it up. Honestly, I'm telling you, look it up. Find the facts of that article if you are not aware of them. And you'll see that the story is very different at its root compared to what you saw in a snippet. And it's the same thing with this headline. A lot of people only got a snippet of it. And because of that, it led to mass panic. And as I've outlined, I'm not saying it's fact that the Chinese government led this conspiracy theory to plant that story. It's only a possibility. And every time I talk about my opinion, I let it be known it's my opinion. I don't try to play it off as fact. I give reasons to back it up. If you disagree with me, I always welcome people to challenge me so we can debate and discuss. But that's the thing here. You need to be more aware of the things you consume because nowadays it's so easy. Anyone can be a publisher. Anyone on Twitter is posting stuff. Anyone on Facebook is posting stuff. Independent news articles like this are coming out of subchina.com causing mass ruckus in Canada. And it could all be stopped, honestly, if people took a couple seconds to really understand the situation better. And that was one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I want to try and inform people to be critical thinkers. I'm not trying to push beliefs onto people. All I'm trying to do is to get them to think deeper about certain things and to be more aware of what's going on in the world, not only Canada. So going back to that China situation, obviously, as I've outlined, we cannot give in to the pressures because of the precedent it sets. If China gets their way because of basically threatening and bullying us, what do you think is going to happen the next time they want their way with something? More threats, more bullying. As you can see, it seems like they're just throwing their weight around because they're a massive economy and there's very few players who can stand up to them. Canada, unfortunately, holds very little substance when it comes to that battle as well. So all we can do is not give in. We need the help of our allies to come in and support us as well. So we'll see how that situation plays out. Hopefully things take a turn for the better, but it's really shaky right now and we'll keep you up to date on how that develops. I feel like now is a good time to bring this up since we're on the topic of international governments. As some of you may have known and seen from the headlines today, Brexit fails for a third time. Called it. Got him. And this really played out how I expected it to. A lot of people forecast this as well. Miss May, the PM of Britain, try to make a deal, pass my bill, and I'll quit. I'll resign. Well, people wanted it both ways. They wanted to fail your bill and make you quit it at the same time. Now it's going to be interesting to see what happens because she was already, uh, I guess, offering resignation as a sort of reward for passing her bill. Now the build's failed. What are you going to do? Are you going to resign? What was the point of even making the deal in the first place? So I think she tries to hold on to the PM position as long as she can. There will, I don't even know. Like, will they try and pass a fourth bill? How ridiculous has this been? Honestly, three times? That was supposed to be the charm. There's no lucky charms here. It keeps failing. So... Honestly, the future of Britain, it's becoming kind of uncertain because you've seen a lot of companies, I believe like Sony, who've pulled out their offices because of fear of what Brexit would do to them. But now it's looking like Brexit might not even happen. So they've taken all this damage to their economy and their social structure for it seems like no reason. That's why I call ineffective governance. And now we move on to our last story of the day. I know, I know. So sad, so sad. Well, I'm going to be talking about WOW Airlines and their abrupt closure. For those of you who are unaware, WOW Airlines is a budget airline that offers really cheap base flights, but in exchange for that cheap base flight, they try to charge you extremely high baggage fees. 
Personally, I tried to book a flight with them a little while ago. And I, if I remember correctly, there was a deal to fly from Toronto to Iceland for $300 round trip. You know, really good price. But to get a bag on, and I'm talking even carry-on. So for a carry-on, it was an additional $100. And then for a checked bag, it was like $150. My numbers might be off slightly, but it was something like that. So if you're bringing on a carry-on and a checked bag, the price can easily shoot up to $550, which would put it in contention with some of the other big airlines. So while airlines to me was only useful if you had like family there who could give you stuff. And if you were traveling with like very light gear, like you wouldn't even need to carry on. If you were just going with the clothes on your back, then you could get a really good deal on Wild Airlines. But that whole baggage thing turned me off, honestly. So now what happens to them? They declare bankruptcy. And the way they did it, there was no buildup. Out of the blue one day, we're going bankrupt. We're shutting down all our flights. No matter where you are, if you're with us, you're stranded. And as a result, Thousands of passengers are now stranded due to this abrupt closure, including a bunch of Canadians. So some of them are stuck in Iceland. Some of them are stuck in places that it was going to because WOW focused mainly on European to North American flights. So anywhere along that, if you had connecting flights or whatever, you could be stuck somewhere now. And so typically if your flight is delayed or something or you miss a connection, you can talk with your airline to try and figure out an alternative route. But what happens when your airline completely shuts down and you can't contact anyone? Well, you're kind of out of luck. So a lot of these guys are screwed, royally screwed. Their vacations are ruined. They're going to get home late. They can't get to their destinations if they have something to do. It's overall a really terrible situation. And obviously the way WOW handled it is not representative of the proper way a company should handle bankruptcy. At least try to go out with some type of honor. But obviously to them it didn't appeal they tried to, I guess, maintain their facade of functionality for as for literally as long as they could. And then when they were falling apart, the seams just collapsed. And now people are stuck. Luckily, there is another rival airline, Iceland Air, who is swooping in and trying to be the hero of the situation. So basically, they're offering discounted rates on their flights to anyone who is stranded because of WOW. They're going to try and help you get to where you have to go. But obviously, this is complicated. Because first of all, even a company like Iceland Air, they have a limited fleet. They're basically offering the extra seats in their planes that weren't booked at discounted rates to these people to try and get them where they have to go. But there's literally thousands of people who are stranded. So just the timing aspect of that, it's going to take super long for these people to even be in a position to take advantage of the discounted fares. A lot of them are going to be forced to pay regular price going on with other airlines in the name of time because they have to go somewhere and they can't wait around for Iceland Air's offer to come into effect. On the reels, while airline, you should have tried to help your customer base out and you could have done this by not just dropping the ball, throwing your hands up and walking away. You know, take ownership for the deals you made prior to your bankruptcy. Even if you can't afford to fly them out anymore, try and help them schedule a plan where they can get to a different connecting flight, reimburse them, make sure that they have the assets available to not completely ruin their vacation. What these guys did was almost seemingly try to go out with as little grace as possible. Just try and screw over as many people as we can. And yeah, they drop a bombshell on them. So overall, terrible. And I feel really bad for a lot of those people out there, especially the families. Like imagine you're trying to go on a nice family getaway and you don't travel often or whatever. And this is your one time to go. You're on a budget airline, trying to make the most of it. And next thing you know, you get screwed. You end up in a random city waiting for a flight that's not coming 
and yeah, your holiday just goes to the dumps. It, it's actually worse if the flight there got messed up and you're stranded somewhere close to home. At least if you're stuck in Iceland or somewhere in Europe, you can kind of make the most of it. Try and do a little bit of extra sightseeing. It might cost you a little bit more money, but going home is delayed. For the people who are trying to go abroad, that sucks. You don't even get to cross the border and you just get shafted pretty much. So not a good situation. Well, that about does it for today's episode of the Perry Platform. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you soon.